What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Red Planet Edition. The planet that stayed up all night playing video games. That would be the the red-eyed planet? The red-eyed planet, yes. Hal 9000. Maybe that's why Hal Hal 9000's eyes were red in 2001. That would explain a lot, actually. To him, life was one big video game, so Mm -hmm. he was always tired. Maybe that's why he was so cranky. It's all coming together. Um... I'm just giving a, a, a quick shout out because I was li- listening to it again recently because I was playing it for a friend uh, a few episodes ago, maybe four episodes ago now, maybe even five. It's disappearing into the past. I uh, interviewed Hal 9000 on the show. So uh, if you want to know what the heck are we talking about, go back and check that out. Matt Stanley is here, professor, uh, historian of science mm-hmm. from New York University. How is the history of science today? Uh, it is continuing, I think. Ah, good. Um, I mean, that's kind of the great thing about history is they're always making more of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's no end of history? Not as yet. No, Fukuyama <laughs> was wrong. Um, <laughs> who, is, who is that? Fuki, well, hmm? Francis uh, Fukuyama. Francis oh, Fukuyama wrote hey, an State essay. Department official. Yeah, back sure. in the 90s, wrote an essay called The, the End of History. Oh, um, really? Which was outdated within seconds. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but nonetheless, very influential. Wow, that's funny. Um, also with us is, uh, as I, I, you know, I always say as always, but in fact, not as always. We're, I feel privileged. Both of you have been out and about this uh, spring, and so I'm glad to have everybody in the studio today. Um, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller, virologist from Rockefeller University. How are you? You said you were... You said there were fires were burning everywhere, but you were in, they were under control. Yeah, it was like every everything in my life right now is like rocket launch kind of on fire. Like Woo. technically, this is the good way for it to be on fire, but I just don't really have any like spare time to sit down and think. I like yeah. end work every day, looking like the caveman SpongeBob meme where he's just like, oh, like <laughs> tense, like puffed up, like like I gotta like still do something <laughs> somehow. Um, like, like somehow I'm still forgetting something at work. Right. Um, right. so it's been a little ludicrous, but not necessarily the bad way. Like it's better than science super depression, which is what happens when nothing works. Um, so, so far things are working. So that's good. No complaints. That's good. You're in motion. That's always good. Being in motion. Yes. And generally we'll stay in motion unless rapid unplanned disassembly, which is still a form of motion, but it's just not all happening at once. (laughs) That's very good. That's very good. And also with us, you heard him, you love him, Chris Carberry is back. And tell me if I have this right, Chris, CEO of the Humans to Mars Summit. Well, actually, CEO of Explore Mars Explore that Mars. runs the Humans to Mars Summit. Got it. Explore Mars. And the website for Explore Mars, exploremars.org? Correct. Fantastic. And You they, did your homework. I just <laughs> remember. I just, I, that was just a wild guess, and I'm glad I hit it right. Um uh, and the Humans to Mars Summit, by the way, I love it. I'm uh, sorry I can't make it this year, but everyone should go. Everyone should go. I was at the Humans to Mars Summit last year. I bl- was last year that you were at GW, yeah? And uh, it is one of the most fun things and collegial and just like not, it wasn't just, we'll talk about it more, but it wasn't just like an amazing conference of all kinds of un- unbelievable speakers and and colorful subjects and all this stuff about all the stuff that goes into all the stuff that's happening now, companies actually, companies and uh, both profit and nonprofit, governmental and private, working on things that is going to get us to Mars. Um, but also just like a really good, almost like a family vibe by the end. It was very nice, really supportive. And young people, is, is uh, Janet's Planet? Is that what's... Yeah, Janet Ivy, who Janet runs Ivey. Janet's Planet. Yeah. And she's the, pre- she's the president of Explore Mars as well. Oh, right on, right on. And she brought some young people. That was very moving. Young people came and they talked about what they would do going to Mars or things like that. And it was a wonderful conference. So the dates, uh, I'll let you talk about it a little bit, but uh, it's coming up May 16th through the 18th at the National Academy of Sciences 
in DC building National Academy of Science building <laughs> there because there, uh, there are more than there's more than one National Academy of Sciences facility this oh, one's right. called specifically the National Academy of Sciences building right this is the one with Einstein out on the lawn yeah it is it's a beautiful building even though yeah. there wasn't a conference there you want to come. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's and really. And you can see Einstein. You can right. see Einstein. It's down there near the, near the Lincoln Memorial. On Constitution Memorial. Ave. Yeah, on Constitution. It's beautiful. Um, so uh, uh, for those who don't know, Chris, what what is, just give a quick introduction. How did you come to create this Humans to Mars Summit? Well, we felt it was time. You know, Explore Mars was created about, well, it was in 2010. But, you know, we started off small, but we wanted to make sure we created a conference that just brought all the different players together, not just the mission architects, scientists, and the policy people, which we always have. As you notice, we always have high-level speakers talking about all the, the updates and the milestones but also bring in other people from different spheres of society. Mm. As we see this, this, this venture, this this goal of getting to Mars isn't just about engineers and scientists, it's about all of human civilization. <clears throat> so we like highlighting all the different roles that people are playing you know, throughout society, the innovators. And you know, one thing we like pointing out are people working on technologies that are not from the aerospace industry, but will be critical for sustainability in space, because of course, mm. We like to obsess over rockets and crew vehicles, which we can't get to Mars without. But we also need to eat, we need to breathe, we need medicine, and looking all the, at all these different technologies. So we like bringing those types of people, you know, that are innovating and might be able to really play a critical role. As you mentioned earlier, we always have a lot of STEM education that Janet mm -hmm. Ivey runs. You know, bring as many students from different backgrounds as possible. We, uh, this year, we have a panel on for, you know, the entertainment industry and, you know, talking about that longstanding coordination and partnership between Hollywood um, and space wow. and how we can expand that and use that to build excitement. Yeah, this year, we have a new topic as well that we're trying to, you know, to highlight some of the players, major players in aerospace who haven't necessarily been highlighted, yeah, frankly, forever. Wow. You know, it play a critical role. You know, for the last few decades, space conferences, many of our programs have been PowerPoint programs. So mm -hmm. not a lot has mm -hmm. been built, but now a lot of stuff is being built. From in yeah. the private sector with the formal program of record at NASA with its partners. And so we're highlighting the tradespeople as well, of the people who are actually bending the metal. Mm -hmm. And so and this is the obviously the engineers and the scientists who are working on the designs are not building, in most cases, they're not actually building the rockets and the crew vehicles and everything else. But this requires some extraordinarily talented tradespeople, the welders, metal workers, you know, machinists, electricians, pipe fitters, etc. Mm. And so we want to talk about that, you know, highlight them, but also what are the challenges coming up? Do we have the proper pipeline, uh, so to speak, yeah. uh, to... You know, make sure that we have enough skilled workers over the next few decades as the space community keeps expanding and expanding. So we try to look at this through all these different lenses throughout society and create a conference that basically just brings everybody together. So it's approachable for ordinary people, but it's also something that the aerospace professionals want to be at they see that value and that's mm. that's something that's not necessarily always the case in space conferences i've been for years at space conferences where everybody says it's with the deco chamber the same people over and over we try to find the balance between general public advocacy and professional conference i hope that wasn't too long-winded no <laughs> no that's fantastic that's fantastic and uh our if this week um, well, first, before I even say what our if this week is, um, Matt, can you help us understand what what is what is this show that pe people have just they they were on their way to Mars, they saw this blue planet with a podcast on it, and they said, "Let's check that out." They should stop. Yeah. Um, well, that's pretty much it. We're um, we are the the roadside attraction on the side of the highway, where you say, <laughs> "Huh, I wonder what's over there." 
and then you see something that startles you. Um, and that's because we've changed something about reality. Um, so as you're driving through South Dakota, that might be that there's a, a giant dinosaur skeleton on the side of the road. And you go <laughs> yeah. and experience that. But here, um, we're going to change something a little more fundamental. Um, what if humans had tails or if, uh, uh, what if hair stood straight out instead of hanging down? Um, okay. and then, uh, we run with the consequences and see what, uh, where that takes us. Indeed. Indeed. And this week we are asking, by the way, we announced the, the, if with great fanfare, literal fanfare and, uh, not fans. I'm not, I'm not doing a fan dance. Don't imagine that. You can't mm -hmm. unsee that image now. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> But fanfare is a musical fanfare uh, because we do need to announce that the gates are opening and, uh, you know, the, the world is going to be odd for, for the next uh, little bit. And so get ready. Goggles on. Safety goggles on. Safety protocols in place. Pappers on. And we ask, what the if? You... We're throwing a conference on Mars. You got a planet, and then you're going to go there, and then you're going to stay there, and you're going to run this. It's hard enough, as Chris knows, running a conference at all is hard enough as it is. But imagine having to do it on Mars. Now, we've done this once before with Chris, actually, and uh, I believe maybe a year ago. And um, the thing is, so much has happened in the past year. The Earth is Earth is uh, Earth was on its way to Mars before, but now even more things are happening. So, uh, but Chris, I ask you again to imagine. You know, you've decided you've got it on the calendar. Uh, it's going to be at the National Academy of Sciences building. On uh, I don't know what do you, is there a particular uh, place on Mars. Uh, Maybe right at the base of um, Olympus Mons, you know, oh, Olympus yeah. Mountain mm. Scenery. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. That would be fantastic. Kind of also reminds me, because the Space Symposium, huge conference, you know, biggest one in space, was out in Colorado Springs last week. And so that's uh, right at the Broadmoor Hotel with the mountains in the background. Uh, so this could be, we could just create the Humans to Mars Summit with a different mountain in the background, the largest mountain in the solar system. That, that would be cool. That would be it really flex on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be spectacular well and i hope kim stanley robinson would be there is doing a uh, a keynote address at that conference would be amazing his his books red mars green mars blue mars some of the best one of the best trilogies of sci-fi i've read all about the development of civilization on mars so you're going to plan this conference um so first of all there that that uh, that building has to be there right so there's already if you're going to throw the conference on mars there's already some civilization there and uh how long do you think it took it, it's gonna take to build to get to the point where there's a beautiful uh hotel let's say on, at the foot of olympus Mons? well let's just say by the end of this not this decade i almost said this day by yeah. the end of this decade they'll be conferences <laughs> like that. that's right uh, by the end of the century hopefully soon and yeah. so you know right now there are multiple different competing goals on when we're actually going to send the first humans to Mars. NASA has official goal of getting humans on the surface of Mars no later than 2040. SpaceX huh? has certainly announced more ambitious goals. And so we will see. But let's just assume we're landing on Mars in the mid-2030s, and that'll be, you know, that'll be just the initial mission to see if we can live on Mars, start testing out whether we can live off the land and, yeah. you know, just getting a feel for it, you know, but hopefully over time, within 20 years from there, there'll be a nice solid human presence, well, hopefully of money hundreds or more. Yeah. But just to say by the end of the century, you know, you have hotels and things like that. We've figured out how to build stuff. You know, one of our, one of our companies coming to Humans to Mars Summit is Icon Build who build, you know, do 3D printed buildings and they could use the Mars regolith to actually start building hotels on Mars. And they mm. even built a Mars, a simulated Mars habitat at the Johnson Space Center yeah. in Houston uh, last year, the year before, I can't remember when, and there's going to be an analog mission there very shortly. So I think by that time, we may, hopefully we will have, you know, conference facilities on Mars. 
Yeah. Actually, I'd say, so when I was at the conference last year, and uh, I remember Icon's presentation vividly, and they showed uh, pictures of, of what they were actually building uh, at Johnson Space Center. And I just couldn't believe it. Maybe you can describe that even more vividly. I mean, first of all, first of all, they, they built the buildings using some whatever material they were using. They made it red yep. to look like to <laughs> oh, look yeah, like yeah, Mars. It. It's very cool. You've been in it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I just remember it. It is. It kind of looked like a three D printer, but it was the size of an aircraft hangar. Or something like that, right? So, did, yeah, tell us, what, what was it like when you visited that facility? Oh, it's very it cool. You know, it is like, you know, you're right. It's a 3D printer, but enormous, and it just, just goes back and forth, kind of rolling these lines of, you know, the materials. It's kind of like a log cabin, <laughs> but huh. with 3D printed um, materials, they just layer on top of each other. And by doing it this way, it's, you know, they can build a much bigger space. When we go to Mars... Initially, it's going to be literally in these little tin cans. And it's even if we're going, you know, we're going with the program of record concept or NASA or, you know, Starship. If that's Elon were to succeed in setting Starship, that's still bigger, but, you know, still limited. But if we are able to just utilize the resources on Mars and use this 3D printing technology where you just let the machines build actual buildings. That that could be really efficient and create a lot of opportunities and save a lot of labor as well. Yeah. Now, do we know if the the material on Mars, the regolith there, is actually good for building buildings? I, generally, there is a lot of that's been discussed, frankly, for decades. Not that we've had we haven't had a sample return for Mars, but we've had plenty of landers and orbiters who have pretty much determined they 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 get the chemical and min mineral composition. So we're pretty sure what it should be like and so a lot of people hypothesize using that regolith to build you know somebody i've known for many years has hypothesized you know since the late 90s building bricks from the martian mm. regolith mm. but mm. i believe icon bill is also hypothesized using that regolith you know as the feedstock for their um 3d printers as well so and and that would be better and i don't want to get too far out of my area of comfort here but uh, I, I believe it would also be much better than, say, lunar regolith, because, of course, lunar regolith is really, really sharp because it has had no erosion. And uh -huh. so it is like little burrs. It, you know, it would be ch more challenging. But Martian regolith, I believe, you know, could be used for this sort of building. Yeah, that's, that's reassuring. Really, yeah. That's really cool. Um, and the fact that, Icon, this company is doing this. So I assume this company has investors, and so, or somehow, you know, is funded. And and so, I think what's I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, first of all, it's it's even I hadn't really I don't know it just clicked for me again. I think I might have heard this date in the past, but I hadn't thought about it in a long time. You said NASA's thinking by twenty forty. That's only seventeen years away. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Of us being on Mars, and the, and and not just we're thinking about sending the first people to Mars. But um, but the fact that there are companies like Icon and many others, they're like, no, we're going, we're ready, we're building, we're we're planning to be there. Um, how how many uh, other companies like Icon are there that are, that are all just sort of planning like? See, there there we're are ready. a lot of them. This is one of our favorite topics. You know, mm, as part mm. of our Mars Innovation forum activities, looking at innovations required for sustainability in space, but also have benefits here on Earth. Now, with ICON, they also build structures here on Earth, so there's an actual market. But we're looking, seeing more and more and more of these companies and realizing if you're not thinking about building the rockets and the crew vehicles themselves, and you're realizing, oh, we need a lot of other stuff to live, um, yeah. that don't, do not cost billions of dollars or even hundreds of millions of dollars, it enables smaller businesses, middle-level businesses, other innovators to come up with inventive solutions that by looking at the problem through the Mars lens, we might come up with giant leaps forward for things here on Earth. Because on Earth, even if we have climate issues and other problems, people still generally, when we're looking at advancements and efficiency and things like that, it tends to be incremental. There's not a lot of motivation 
as I've mentioned a number of times, to, you know, in a number of audiences, on Mars, if you're not almost completely efficient, you might die. And that's a great motivator. So uh, that threat of death, you know, helps people really, it gets people really motivated. And so we might make these leaps then when we realize, oh, look at this, I'm at this incredibly efficient way of creating manufacturing food on Mars or extracting water or any a number of other things or environmental systems. Uh, all of a sudden we realize, oh, we can bring this back to Earth. It will, it could be create a wonderful market and prove life here on Earth. And so we're looking at all those. And even in the last few years, back in, I think, 2018, 2017, at the Mars Summit, we had a panel called um, The Economics of Mars to see if they're asked the panel, is there a business case for Mars? Mm. At the time, Everybody pretty much said, no, not yet. That, that's, that's decades off. You know, maybe the moon, definitely low Earth orbit, but everybody was pretty much saying, now, Mars is no market for Mars. But since then, when we had our conference mm. last year, and you may actually remember this, we had a venture capitalist who was actually investing in Mars-related technology. And he's not the only one. So people, venture capitalists, who are not going to throw their money at something that's completely whimsical and has no chance of making money, are yeah. beginning to look at this, say, oh, there's something there. You know, as long as they can show that there is also a benefit here on Earth, a market. So you might get that space business and yeah. you also can apply it to products here on Earth. And so that is a major shift from most people saying, no, no market to actual venture capitalists investing in Mars related technology because they think people realizing now it looks real now. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, the crew vehicles, the rockets seem be be well underway, but everybody's realizing, oh, that's but that's not everything. Once again, <laughs> there's a lot more to um, keeping humans alive than just building a rocket and a crew vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and those things, once again, can have dr dramatic impact here on Earth. Yeah, yeah. So, Gabby, you're going to be attending this conference. Um, what are some questions you might... Uh... Uh, have for the uh, the people who are running the conference before you go. Yeah, so if I am hauling myself to Mars where there's this sort of, I don't know, frontier town of maybe a couple thousand people, they've got their National Academy of Sciences, they're, they, they've got a good little thing going. The International I'm Academy of Science. Or interplanetary. 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 <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe Mars has already seceded. They're like, we're just Mars now. <laughs> Um, so then I, maybe I need my, my space passport. Um, but, but I'm curious about, right. Is conferences are big. Chris, how many, how many people does the humans to Mars summit normally have? Typically, we're hoping to get back to our pre COVID numbers. We tend to be between like five and 700. I, I think we'll probably between four and 600 this year, but we also tend to have tens of thousands watching online. Okay. So. Excluding those watching online, an extra 500 to 700 people is probably going to be a huge strain on the life support systems of whatever little Martian uh, capital city we are completely invading for this conference. So I'm curious about like how how would stuff get scaled up? Or on all of the ships that we're coming over on, are we having to bring extra stuff just to, uh -huh. to make sure that we can all survive being here for a week? Well, we'd have to. It's like yeah, like you do with conference planning. And, you know, I don't know, hopefully the caterers are gone on Mars. And, but, you know, when you're running a conference and, you you know, it's always an issue, particularly with our conference, where most people wait until the last moment to register. And so it's always a problem trying to estimate with the caterer. And they always say, oh, we need a final number a week out. Well, I suppose when you're doing it on Mars, and since it takes between assuming we're using the same propulsion we are now, takes between six and eight months to get there so mm. you know mm. probably you're going to need the numbers like a year in advance so the caterers can order make sure it's actually shipped to mars so it's prepared there so there's a lot of logistics here to prepare for a conference on mars and you have to you know assuming everything is coming from earth and that's a yeah. big if uh, you have to you know you need a lot of lead time to make sure that all the materials that you need are actually going to be on Mars. Nobody wants to go to Mars and have this crappy food or, you know, you want, mm -hmm. you want a good time and good drinks as well. Yes. However, 
you know, hopefully by that time, they have also perfected all these different technologies. You know, once again, getting back to innovations, agriculture, that we have massive agricultural facilities, perhaps with new technologies that we haven't even thought of. You know, so we have expansive ways of growing crops, but also creating food another way with 3D printing. People 3D printed food right now. But one of, my mo one of the things I'm most excited about, and another company we had there last year at H2M, is uh, we had uh, Aleph Farms from um, in Israel, and they've created the first uh, lab-grown steak. Basically, you take, and there are many companies around the world doing this right now. Uh, they, have, they take a few cells from a cow, and they're able to create an actual steak that, well, obviously, never kill, you don't kill a cow. You don't kill the animal. We pre right. In 2019, we had finless foods that do the same thing with fish, and they can create any kind of fish, you know, in the lab without killing killing a fish. And, wow. you know, one of my favorite videos was a chicken, uh, you know, one of these companies that did chicken, and the, um, the staff were sitting down for a picnic outside having you basically grilled chicken sandwiches and the chicken they were eating walked by. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> amazing. And so, you know, obviously this for those who, you know, are opposed to killing animals for consumption, this is obviously wonderful, particularly if you like meat, but you don't want to kill animals. Yeah. But it's it's an enabling technology for space because regardless of whether you're you know a meat eater or a vegan or somewhere in between, most people agree we're not going to be bringing cows to Mars anytime soon. And uh, yeah. you know fish is pro are probably challenging as well and any animals and eventually they'll get there. But if you can just bring a few cells from any animal you you know we generally like to consume, you can have it. Basically, an unlimited amount of uh, meats without killing any animals, but just through bringing a few cells from each animal without bringing a lot of mass. So that's that's the sort of thing. If we can build that infrastructure, really start perfecting, you know, food production through these tremendous innovations, that 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 will enable, you know, that that part of the conference itself. You know, we won't we won't have to ship everything from Earth. So you won't need that one year lead time on what the numbers will be of your conference attendees. You'll do you'll be able to at least I don't know, it might still be longer than it is on here on Earth, but you at least you'll have time to prepare, but you won't you know, you'll have the facilities there on Mars. Yeah. Well, speaking have, of time, um how much time do I need to budget for getting to the conference and back? Well, at you know, right now, once again, using current propulsion. You know, we can, there are two kinds of missions they talk about now. Long stay, short stay, uh, conjunction class and opposition class. Opposition class is a short stay. And so you go, it still takes six to eight months to get there. You stay on the surface for a month, and then it takes, frankly, it takes quite a while to get home. But still, it's a shorter time frame, so you're going to maybe five to six hundred. I can't remember the exact time frame, but five to six hundred days. Maybe it's up to seven hundred. Yeah. But regardless, it's shorter. If you're doing the long stay, you're generally staying about a year and a half on the surface, and so you're going to be away for three years. So, right. you know, you have six to eight months there, you're on the surface, year and a half on the surface, and then six to eight months back. So you're going to be there, there, you know, away from Earth for roughly three years. So in any scenario, you're going to be away for a while. Unless, once again, you know, a lot of people are looking at different types of propulsion, nuclear propulsion, and some people have hypothesized we might be able to get to Mars in 39 days, or even if it's even half the time, you know, you might be able to cut that down by quite a bit, but it's still going to be quite a time commitment by Earth travel standards. Yeah, it's so amazing, is it? It's take, that is taking us back to a time, you know, it wasn't that long ago, let's say 100 years ago, a little more, more than 100 years ago, that travel on Earth, that's, that was standard for travel on Earth. If you were going to go somewhere, right? I mean, it might take you months to get there and uh, months to get, you know, you, you can imagine if you're going to go to China or something um, back in the pre-steam engine days, it would take you a very long time. Oh, yeah. long that was, it was a major commitment. And, you know, it was mostly, of course, very, very wealthy people 
They were the yeah. only ones who could really afford to go on these worldwide tours and actually be able to spend yeah. all that time. Because you're right, it yeah. took it took a large time commitment to actually go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I had a thought that maybe it, in the terms of bringing all the supplies that you would have to bring to allow, as you said, Gabby, you know, this huge influx of people for this big event. It's a little bit like the Olympics. I could imagine that each of mm-hmm. these humans to Mars, literally humans to Mars summits, um, would uh, be bringing lots of infrastructure that just like with the Olympics, when the Olympics are done, there's a lot of stuff that might stay behind and, and allow the city it, to grow, and including the people. <laughs> I mean, there might be people that just decide to use this as their yeah, excuse okay. to move there. Kind of a good example, I mentioned the Space Symposium, that was last week, you know, which nice big resort there in Colorado Springs, but there was estimated anywhere, I keep hearing different numbers, between 18,000 and 30,000 people who descended on the Broadmoor Hotel, mean resort, and mean many buildings around a lake near the mountains, mm. but, you know, and they can, they've been building new facilities to accommodate not just that conference, but I think that's the largest one they get. Well, there's far more people than the Broadmoor wow. could accommodate, but they still managed to do it. And so huh. it's kind of similar as all of a sudden a city, you know, basically a, a town descends on a, a small space yeah. and you have to figure out how to manage them. So that, that must have taken a lot of logistical planning just to manage that. So, um, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So it might be that's, that's one of the ways they start building it up, as you mentioned in that Olympic model, which is certainly interesting because that, you know, when Olympic comes to town, whether it makes economic sense or not to the city, you yeah. know, they are, they are, they end up with a lot of new facilities. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Gabby, you're, so you, you, you were at a conference recently, right? Or it seems like you've been going to conferences. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some of the things you experience that you then sort of imagine you would, what, how to translate that to this experience on Mars at this conference? What's it like for the, yeah, so, there are definitely people in our audience who have never been to a scientific conference. Yeah. So I haven't been to like a public conference in a hot mm. minute. And by mm. that, I think it's been like five or six years. Most of what <laughs> I'm doing are like private conferences through like my fellowship, but it is a lot of talks. So sprinkled in there are talks by people on, at least in my case, their research. Um, I assume in this case, there's panel talks on specific topics like how to address maybe one issue on Mars, which I think will be very interesting if everybody's currently on Mars. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have this one problem with the weather all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then there's a lot of assorted periods for you to get to talk with other people at the conference. Your goal is essentially networking and getting to know and maybe establish some contacts with people that you wouldn't have met otherwise. So there's a lot of opportunities for that between talks, at dinners, um, at drinks, which we know can happen on Mars now. That's um, right. yeah. there, I, my understanding is at larger conferences too, which I haven't been at, at a while, then you get more things like vendor booths or mm. booths that represent other institutions where they can talk specifically about whatever work it is that they do and how that might contribute to the kind of things that you're focusing on in the conference. Yeah, that's right. So a big vendor hall of um, oxygen manufacturers and oh, yeah. uh, the chickens who you can choose cells from. Yes. Like that, and right? yes. Mark Watney's organic uh, Martian poop-grown potatoes, <laughs> yes. I imagine, does have yeah. a, a booth. And I remember, Chris, at, at uh, Humans to Mars Summit last year, one of the fun things is people uh, signing uh, their books, for instance. Uh, for instance, you have uh, – in fact, I think I saw you have coming up again this year uh, – Astronaut uh, Cyan Proctor. Yeah, well, that's Cyan Proctor. Cyan, our uh, our our astronaut ambassador for Explore Mars, and Cyan yeah. went up was the first um, first African American woman to pilot an orbiting spacecraft with Inspiration yeah. Four back in whatever that was two years ago, yeah. a year and a half ago at this point. So she'll be signing her book, actually. I have a copy of that, but just holding up my, <laughs> <laughs> this one here. It yes. was actually holding my iPad in a position where, <laughs> that's <good. laughs> sorry, Cyan, that's what I'm using your book for. <laughs> uh, but I will be signing my book, Alcohol in Space, and that will be for people who want to come 
we will it's being turned into a documentary so we'll have a screening of the documentary the first evening of the conference with a panel discussion that will be following a reception sponsored by the scottish whiskey company ardbeg who will have whiskey mm. tasting and be showing us some wonderful whiskey cocktails as well but we also have a book uh, called For the Love of Mars, which will be coming out that week by uh, Matt Schindel, who's the space curator at the National Air and Space Museum. And so if his mm. book is coming out, he'll be signing books, and he will be the speaker, speaker at our speaker lunch on the second awesome. day, May cool. 17th, at the Humans to Mars Summit. And Janet Ivey will be signing one of her children's books as well. So I think let's believe that's it for book signings. So... Four of them this year. Oh, that's great! It was very, it was very exciting. I encourage anyone to go if you want to meet any of these exciting people, okay. uh, including astronaut Cyan Proctor. I also I have her book mm -hmm. here, autographed from uh, from the conference. It's wonderful. Um, so there will be people. For instance, there will be. I imagine you'll have at the conference the first astronauts who went to Mars will be there signing autographs. So get your tickets now. It's you know plan out your three years, block out your three years to go to Mars and go to the Humans <laughs> to Mars Summit. 2045, let's say. Um, I am curious about in this situation how much buy-in you think you might get from the Martian locals. Because assumably uh, <laughs> the, the first population of people that are going to be launched to Mars all have very technical skill sets. They're going to be engineers, they're going to be pilots, they're going to be botanists. They're going to be a whole mix of people who probably have scientific backgrounds in some way. So I'm kind of curious, like, do you foresee, like, there's some component of people getting shipped in and then some component of, like, this almost maybe becoming, like, a Martian town hall? And the traffic <laughs> problems when the SS conference descends on yeah. Mars. Terrible. Yep, 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 yep. Um, just waiting for the hovercrafts. The line was incredible. Um, uh, now... So, uh, Gabby, you mentioned, of course, a big part of conferences is uh, uh, the functions, the cocktail parties. And Chris, oh, it's so funny. What's, there's a sound in the background. It sounds like the emergency broadcast system. I think that's on my end. Oh. Um, maybe there's a fire drill going but, on. Are we under oh. attack? <laughs> Should you <laughs> run? It could be under Martian invasion. Yeah. could be a breach of the dome. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to go, Matt? No, no, I'm okay. Okay. Matt is, Matt is sticking it out. Um that's the kind of that's the kind of fortitude we need for people to go to Mars. That's right. No, it's only a small no league. Do ignore the. <laughs> it's only yeah. a small league. Exactly. Just ignore it. It'll it'll go away. The robots will take care of it. Um, so uh, cocktail parties on Mars. One thing we haven't even addressed yet is the fact that Mars is one third one, Earth's gravity. One third. Yep. One third is pretty significant, right? So, um, and I've seen some movies where uh, they try to simulate that. And you do, like, if you walk or jump, it is a bit of a slow motion effect. It's not as extreme as you see on the moon, right? But getting used to that would be interesting. And uh, cocktail parties in low gravity, Chris, tell us how that's... Well, it'll be special um, in addition to the alcohol. And, you yeah. know, it looks like, you know, well, the Martians a good example. If we can build, if we can build, we can grow potatoes yeah. on Mars, and obviously we can make alcohol. There are... Uh -huh. Variables we don't understand because we've never done it. Like how how um, one third gravity impact impacts fermentation and distillation, and all mm -hmm. the environmental factors. And maybe we'll be able to create alcohols only possible on Mars and not on Earth because of those very unique those factors. But another thing, which is you know you have to think about, is the glassware. Because, you know, our, all of our glassware on Earth is designed for 1G. And so we know when we pour liquid in, you know, we know exactly how it reacts. And mm -hmm. so on Mars, liquid will go into the glass, but it'll not be, it won't be as heavy. It will be more likely to flow out. So what we need, what we need glasses with little lips around it. You know, you drink like that. And there are a lot of companies looking at space um glassware you know we work i work with this gentleman who's been creating a cocktail glass for microgravity um other people based on mom the champagne company who funded the alcohol space mo movie uh have created a a wine glass not a wine glass a champagne glass for microgravity because if they're serving their beverage in space 
They want it to be consumed appropriately because they want to enhance the conviviality of drinking champagne <laughs> in space. And so, but this will have to be looked at for all these different gravities, and each gravity will require a slightly different uh, type of glassware. And so yeah. it's, it, you know, and this once again, yeah. And these may become marketable as well back here on Earth eventually. You won't necessarily need them to drink on Earth, but yeah. think of all different designs you'll need for different gravities. What does the, uh, what does the space cocktail class look like? Um, um, I actually have a 3D version. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> Hold on one second. One second. All right. That's Meanwhile, amazing. Matt, the adventure continues. I hear fire trucks outside now. That is correct. So maybe it's not a drill after all. Um, so if I burst into flames, that's why. Oh, my goodness. This is like every scientist in the lab and the fire alarm goes off. Exactly. You oh, can't right. disrupt your experiment. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All so right, Chris, what do we got? This one, there are many different versions that, you know, some of them more, look more like a cocktail glass. This one actually looks more like a gourd. <laughs> but, huh? Oh, wow. But, you know. As you see inside, there are these little ah. grooves. And so a functional version would be you have an actual hole here, and they'd fill it up to the bottom. And because of the fluid dynamics, fluid physics, which tend to adhere to a surface, they would channel the liquid up through these grooves, and then you'd drink it like that. It wouldn't be filled all the way like a normal glass, but the, the liquid would, you know, flow up through the channels. And that's so that for microgravity. Way- we're oh, audio only, cool. so I'm going to describe. Essentially, oh, it looks like <laughs> it looks like a cocktail glass, uh, same shape, but uh, in the rim of the glass, uh, where you would normally sip out of, there were um, six or so uh, almost triangular cuts in it. So I guess you would you would sip through the uh, the little cutouts in in the rim. But there are a bunch of de- a bunch of different designs. There've been some people designing scotch glasses and um mm. ones for just and frankly it's useful for any beverage. It doesn't have to be alcoholic. And I think when we actually have space hotels and things like that, while it might be fun to, you know, spray water or a beverage into a little orb in my microgravity, you know, and drink it for a short period of time, that probably that that kind of wears off probably quickly and you over time you're going to want to you know be able to enjoy your beverages in a more traditional way and sometimes those connections that conviviality is important you know you know everybody likes building a mood building kind of that feel i mean you like sitting in a bar or something with a glass or somewhere else and so i think if you have the right glassware it enhances the the environment it enhances your experience yeah, and yeah. the beverage I think adapting itself. to the low Shit. adapting to the low G on Mars would probably be the equivalent of what happens at modern conferences, which is um, jet lag, right? So, <laughs> so the people who have to come from three time zones away are are dragging uh, the whole time and take a couple of days to get going. Um, so I'd imagine uh, on on Mars too, there's people who are going to be good at adapting and people who aren't. Um, yeah. There's also a phenomenon that happens. Uh, when you're flying into the conference, um, which is that if it's a big conference, the plane that you're on probably has a lot of people who are attending the conference um, Mm. on the plane. And it occasionally happens that you're stuck next to somebody who you don't like. Um, (laughs) And then at the conference, that person then sort of attaches themselves to you for the next (laughs) three or four days. Um, And that's irritating, but doable. Um, but the conference on Mars, you're going to be stuck in the seat next to this person for 300 days. Um, (laughs) so I can imagine there might be some interpersonal tensions, um, when there's the one irritating person at the conference that you literally cannot escape because if you try, there will be no oxygen. (laughs) I don't know what to do about that. And this, this is why you became a black belt. That's correct. Double black belt in karate. Yeah. 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 I wonder if you have to institute a rule of like, don't don't talk about it before the conference, guys. You're going to get bored <laughs> right. on the ship. Yeah, no shop talk <laughs> hey, before wh- we get there. That's true. If you're there, you're in the space suit, you're not space suit, spaceship for six to eight months. Yeah, a lot of time to start talking about it. And you probably get get sick of the topic before you get there. Yeah. yeah. Although it, it is true. You know, what you're talking about, Matt, is, you know, NASA does um, and, and has always 
spent a lot of time on um, crew interpersonal dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the people who get chosen to go on these missions, you know, have already practiced. Um, they just, they learn how to uh, get along with each other. And well, yeah, like and maybe we would need to do that for conferences now. So when, yeah. when you apply for, you know, you send a paper in, um, the uh, organizing committee not only decides it's scientific merit, but it decides if you're a nice enough person for other people to spend a couple yeah. of years yeah. with yeah. along the you way. You have to pass the vibe check. That's right. The five check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. You're just too much of a jerk to present your data exactly. at this conference. Exactly. Uh, my image, I must say, of the journey there is I do believe, so we just saw Starship launch and it got off the pad. So, and, um, you know, they, 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 they call that a success. I'll call that a success. They got up, they did, they had a first test. And um, uh, one thing that's always fun to remind people of when you, trying to remind them that if they see a rocket blow up and it's the first launch of the first kind of rocket ever built. You know, if you go back, if you watch the movie, The Right Stuff, uh, which is all about the mission, the, uh, the, uh, the first, the Mercury Rocky 7 M. astronauts, there's a fantastic montage in there of all the rockets that blew up as they were, you know, trying to figure out how to build a rocket to get off Earth. Oh, yeah. And SpaceX has really played up all their explosions over the years as they are getting, yeah. perfecting the Falcon rockets falcon 9 rockets and the falcon 1 rocket before that you know yeah. and, been, and and then when they've had the um you know first stage landing as well the number of times it tipped over and exploded before it actually yeah. worked yeah. and so yeah. but yeah with starship you know it was a good first effort the the heavy lift vehicle seemed to work they just had problems you know having the start starship itself this attaching i believe was the issue i don't know ollie i think some engines also cut out as yeah. well but it got off the launch pad it got up to a pretty good altitude as well so pretty good first test still obviously needs a lot of work but it's a wonder it yeah just a wonderful milestone you know with you know spacex doing that just a few months ago the rails were like six months or six or eight months ago now you know the successful artemis one launch you know with the uncrewed vehicle that went around the moon and so lining up for the next one artemis two when humans you know, and they announced the uh, Artemis II crew uh, just a few weeks ago. You know, so they yeah. will orbit the moon and hopefully in 18 months or less, you know, getting ready yeah. for Artemis Three, where we return humans to the surface of the moon tentatively for 2025. So a lot, yeah. lot of cool things going on. But yeah, there it's all dangerous. It takes a lot of practice. And so while well, the Starship um, launch wasn't a complete success, it was... You know, great milestone, a lot of successes in it. And, you know, SpaceX has shown that they, you know, get right back up and try to figure it out and will launch again until they figure it out. Yeah. And you look at the size of that thing, it's twice as big as the Saturn V. People have to, a lot of people don't remember the Saturn V, and you got to look, go look up a a size comparison between the Saturn V, which was the largest rocket. Uh, in the world at the time, and and this new uh, starship, I think, is like twice as big. Um, so there's a lot of room. What what I'm getting at basically is that on your journey there, I, it, it seems to me it would be a bit more like, ideally, it'd be a bit more like going on a cruise than being strapped in a capsule. It, it is a it is a big months. vehicle. I, I remember I was yeah. at when Elon Musk announced this concept back in, I think it was 2017 at the IAC um, conference in Guadalajara, Mexico. I was there in the audience. And at the time, he even mentioned, hey, there'll be a pizza restaurant. And I, I think he scaled <laughs> back on that. I'm sure there eventually will be, but there is space. Yeah. And so yeah. so he was yeah. hypothesizing all these different aspects, including a pizza restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine it could be possible that you're traveling in a fleet. You know, it could be one, two, three uh, of these starships flying together. So you might be able to bounce back. Well, and it will require yeah. that as well, meaning at least multiple launches. Because Starship, even though yeah. it's a you know, powerful rocket, it still can't get, you can't send it all the way to the moon or Mars. Because well, yeah. you just, the way, and I don't, don't ask me any questions. I'm not a, you know, rocket science engineer. And so, yeah. but, just because of, you know, the whole the physics behind how this thing is built and the size of Starship. So they, they are going to build, build having, you know, orbi- orbital refueling and multiple launches to make sure they can reach different destinations. So 
Um, yeah, so that that will require fleets of starships that are actually going yeah. up and you know refueling and participating in all components of these missions, whether it's going back to the moon or onto Mars, whatever. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. It'd be like Battlestar Galactica or something. You know, you could fly from ship to ship during your journey, visit the different, the casino ship. You know, that's always a classic. Go ahead, Matt. All right. So my Dean has a question, which is um, how much travel grant does she need to give me? (laughs) Um, That is, what's my budget for this conference? Well, it's not going to be cheap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a good question. And, you know, I know that there's been a lot of thought about how much you can bring this down, you know, the price down. But, like, if if they can really make this economical, you know, whereas, you know, since Starship, if we're going on Starship, shall we say something that sized, and or, or some other company has something similar, and they bring the price down per person, it's still going to cost you millions of dollars to be able to go there to the conference and back. I don't know what the conference cost pr- ticket price would be, but I assume it's not going to be a cheap ticket price for the conference also. So I, I think, I think let's say $10 million, that would be a bargain, because you couldn't possibly go to Mars <laughs> $10 million right now, but... Let's assume, yeah. or the equivalent of ten million dollars, you know, by by the end of the century, you know, it's probably a billion dollars. But <laughs> equivalent of ten million dollars mm-hmm. at that point, assuming they're able to really economize everything and bring the cost of lunch and everything down a lot. Yeah, that might be a hard sell for my dean. <laughs> <laughs> No, but NYU, you know, they've got campuses all over the world. They'll have a campus on Mars. Well, you know, that's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they would need a historian of science, I think, documenting what's Obviously, going on, yeah. on Mars. Right. That's pretty important. And I believe right. that nobody quote my number of 10 million. It's going to conferences in the future yeah. will cost $10 million to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just order of magnitude is so, fine. Yeah. $10 million Mars dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I did have a thought if you're going to be A, stuck there for so long, B, it's going to be so expensive, there might become a system of like, you know, you get sort of roped into experiments much like NASA astronauts in the entire time that they're up there. That, you know, maybe there's an added thing of like, yes, you can go to this conference and yes, we'll pay for it. But uh, we're only sponsoring you if you're, you've got a project that you're going to be working on in there. Like you have something yeah. you're presenting yeah. and you have something that you're working with, working on on the way. Yeah, working vacation. And and I could imagine I was imagining the uh, you know, the spacesuits or even just whatever casual uh, clothes you wear on the ship being just covered in corporate logos, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just to pay for the whole thing. And the ships, you know, look like look like a race car this the starship will be covered in logos. Um, and why not? Why not? You know, because for sure you, there will be a documentary made about that conference, no doubt. And I hope I get a chance to do that. Um, that would be fantastic. So uh, wrapping up, Chris, you're on your way home on your starship. You've just, uh, you've just had a very successful conference. And, uh, what are your thoughts as you depart Mars after the conference? Boy, I'm glad this is down. Yes. And <laughs> 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 like a guy, you're right. able to do a conference here on earth. It's, it's, yeah, you're really busy. It's stressful for us trying to get everything together. So whoever is doing the first conference on Mars, uh, boy, the stress level there is making sure all <laughs> these parts are working. So they are going to be very happy that it's over. But, you know, what yeah. an accomplishment as well, doing the first Mars conference on Mars. Or maybe the Mars conference yeah. on Mars will be going, you know, Titan conference about how we're going to get ah. to Titan or something yeah. like that. So we don't know what the topic of the conference will be. So yeah. it might be yeah. what the next stage in space exploration would be. Regardless, it's going to be... Just probably just decompressing and uh, looking back at what an enormous achievement, not only the conference, but everything that went into enabling that conference over the previous, you know, decades as we're, you know, looking back to now as we're preparing to get to Mars and the conferences on Earth that helped enable that. You know, they were trying, talking about all the different elements, you know, that societal elements that were required to make this happen because it, once again yeah. this take this is going to take all of society and co- international cooperation and not just 
the technical folks, you know, scientists and engineers, but as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, the entertainment industry, uh, yeah. medical professionals, innovators, uh, accountants, lawyers, mm. every sphere of society is required to have, make this happen. And that's why when we're doing our conference this year, a hundred years prior to, or 80 years prior to the one on Mars, it's going to happen. It's, you know, we're looking at this from that big picture perspective. It's going to take all society to enable this future. Amazing. Amazing. And at the Humans to Mars Summit coming up um, in uh, May 16th to, 8th to the 18th in Washington, D.C., you're going to have representatives from many of those spheres of society there. Um, where can people go, Chris, to uh, find out well, more and to register? Well, the easiest way would go be to go to exploremars.org. Yeah, and you, it should, you should be easy to find the registration and conference information right there on our website. Awesome, awesome. Chris Carberry, CEO of exploremars.org. Check it out. It's a wonderful conference. Absolutely, you should go check it out. Um, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Anything coming up? Um. If my students are listening, you need to get your final papers into me. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, that's about it for the moment. Because you'll be off to Mars afterwards. You just, that's right. <laughs> no, you're out the, door. the airport. Forget it. Yeah, exactly. The spaceport. Exactly. Uh, Gabby, how about you? Anything you want to uh, plug or unplug? Well, not a specific plug for myself, but a general solicitation from the audience. I think I mentioned that I'm yeah. applying for like a science communication award actually through the National Academy of Sciences. Um, and so I'm doing it for work, you know, that I've been doing on What the If as a member of this great podcast. And so I have been listening to the sound of my own voice for way longer than I care to. <laughs> uh, therefore, I'm helping, I'm hoping for help from you guys uh, to find episodes from 2022 that you thought, like, you know, you really learned something from and that you think is like really representative of, of what we do well because I've looked through and I found some that I think are good but you know I kind of want to get to what you know the listeners like the best and what you guys think is is stuff that has actually helped you develop might be more of an appreciation for science cultivated some cool knowledge etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah right on and and the thing you're applying for is a is it a grant or what is it it's no, it's it's in a it's a specific award through the National award. Academy of Sciences, uh -huh. um, and and so it does eventually like through that put like put you in contact with other people who do science communication and science journalism. Yeah, yeah. Because it is it's sort of like an overall SciCom side journalism award, but there's different tiers. So like there's one tier for people who are actually professional science journalists. Then there's like one tier for people who are like still academic scientists, like postdocs, PIs, and then there's like another level that's grad students. And I am very much applying for the little grad student portion. <laughs> the big grad student portion. Um, yeah, so help Gabby. Let's, help, let's all get together. Let's help Gabby apply for and win this award that she deserves as it is. So help her email us uh, or go to our website, uh, whattheif.com, and just uh, right there in the contact little box, uh, send us what's a favorite um, episode of yours. Uh, that we've had over the past. Oh, the in, little in asterisk is they have to be from 2022. From 2022. You know it. There you were love ones it. I loved and they were from outside that time period. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> from the great year of 2022. The best episode of What the If. Let us know. I, I'd love to see that too. So mm -hmm. it sounds fun. Um, Patreon members, thank you for all your support. Uh, those of you who are not Patreon members, Check it out. What? Uh, sorry, Patreon, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash what the if is our webpage for our membership program with Patreon. Patreon is a service that helps um, podcasts and all kinds of other creative people um, uh, fund their programs through uh, donations uh, from supporters. And in return for your uh, support, um, you, there's all kinds of gifts available. And uh, we have levels, uh, different levels. You get different amounts of things starting at $1 and going up. So uh, all kinds of fun things available, all kinds of merch. And my favorite bonus, uh, favorite reward uh, for what you get for contributing to us and joining our um, uh, membership program is you get bonus content. So we, we do extended episodes only for Patreon listeners. And Chris, I hope if you have a few minutes, we'll, we'll be doing a, uh, another few minutes 
after we finish recording this episode, we're going to do uh, more. We're going to talk more with Chris about Mars, and only Patreon members will get to listen to that. And we've got many, many, many hours of those um, uh, bonus episodes that have been going up for quite a long time. So why don't you check out check us out patreon.com slash what the if and see what that's all about. Um, now, Chris, I don't know if you remember how we end the show. We do this uh, uh, crazy thing where we we shout the name of the show, what the if, very slowly. And Gabby, why why in the world do we do this? Why do we have this closing ceremony? Yeah. As this conference has wrapped up, we've spent so long getting there. We've talked to so many people, heard so many cool things. And now we are facing another half a year long journey back on the ship with the same people. <laughs> we cannot help but shout the name of the show together in unison. So if you join me. What? The- Chris Carberry. Thank you. ExploreMars.org. Check it out. Get get yourself to the Humans to Mars Summit uh, coming up May 16th through 18th in Washington, D.C. Be there. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for your journey. Uh, taking three years out of your life to uh, listen to what the... Boy, listen, you could, you could listen to a lot of episodes of What the F on the way to Mars. So fill up your podcast app. Visit our website to find more episodes, whattheif.com, and we'll see you next week. Bye.